Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy. This is episode 103 of the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, tabletop games, RPGs, I kind of said that already, dice games, all those things. We also like to talk about beer, which is why we're going to dive right into the first beer of this episode. So this one is a very special beer because it is a collaboration between two of our favorite places, a brewery and Super Cow Nguyen, the Vietnamese supermarket in Oklahoma City. This is from Lively Beer Works. It is the reindeer brand, Jasmine Rice Lager, at 5% alcohol by volume. It is made with a special rice that has a reindeer logo. It's a very, very popular brand of rice, and most people just call it the reindeer brand. Uh, if you look that up, you will see exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so we picked this up from Super Cow Nguyen last week. We made our monthly trip to Super Cow, picked up some beer, picked up some magnificent steam buns, and what else we get, Delty? We got $45 worth of ramen. $45 worth of ramen. Because it is, it's not like we eat ramen every day. But every once in a while, you don't want to put in a lot of work for dinner. Well, we found a delicious vegan ramen. It is Shin brand, and I believe it is a, is it a Korean ramen? I think it's a Japanese ramen. I don't know, though. I can't remember if it's, by, I don't think it's made by Nongshim, which is the, like, Korean company that makes my potato snack chips that I love. But uh, this brand is so good that I posted a picture of my food pyramid on Twitter and I had so many people saying that that was the best ramen ever. And someone just came out of the blue because I said online we were going to Super Cow because it's our favorite place. And people were saying, you got to pick up some shin. I'm like, we're one step ahead of you and one step ahead of everyone else because we totally bought out the entire vegan section. That ramen, depending on, I guess, the run is if it's vegan or not, right? They have the packaging looks pretty much identical, but some are vegan and some are not. And you can read the ingredients and some have like beef broth and some don't. And even the vegan version has a big slice of beef on top of it, so you never really know unless you look at the ingredients. You never know, and we found the one that is vegan, and every time we've been back in the past several months, we've looked and they don't have it, we've looked and they don't have it. They have a marked vegan cup where it's like add hot water and leave it covered for three minutes and you have ramen, but those are just okay. But the actual packaged ramen is so good, and every once in a while we eat a pack and we'll make some tofu to go with it and we'll cut up some, uh, I can't think of what the seaweed is called. Is it nori? Nori. We cut up some nori to put in it, and we'll do, you know, different things. Sometimes I do the, what we call tofu skins, but they call them like bean curd, uh, soybean curd. I'll fry up some of that to put in it, so we'll make like a big ramen feast with it, and it's delicious, and they haven't had it, and I had to buy all of it. You know, they've probably been out of, for, out of it for the last three months because jerks like us come in and buy all of it whenever it's in stock. Oh, for sure. It's exactly how it happens. <laughs> And so this right here, we're going to be honest, we've already had this beer before, and we've already yes. liked this beer. We do like it. It is not like an absolute favorite of mine, but it is nice. So it's a, a not crystal clear, but dang close, very, very light, slightly pale color yellow. Super carbonated. It has a slight sour smell to it. Has a good amount of carbonation, but not too much. The crazy thing is the mouth feel feels flat, but when you swallow there's all the carbonation and bubbles. It is strange, isn't it? But It's it, a very tame flavor. It, it does taste like jasmine. So I know it's supposed to be jasmine rice, but this tastes like the jasmine, uh, what do you call it, herb? Spice? Tea? I guess. Jasmine tea, I guess. 
And so it's it's very light in flavor. It's very crisp. It's delicious, though. I, I enjoy it more than Delton does. I think it's pretty good. It's got a little bit of a floralness to it, which, you know, there's a Japanese whiskey called Hatozaki that I really like because it's light and it's floral. But when it comes to beer, I tend to go away from really light. So I think that's where this isn't my all-time favorite. However, it's not bad. Like, it's a good beer. Uh, Lively Beer Works, I've liked the stuff they've put out. And this is the same. If you're looking for a really light beer that's just kind of nice, it's not abrasive in literally any way and taste. It's just a nice, gentle, floral, you know, kind of light beer. This is a really good one. Pairs well with Shin Ramen. It really does. So that weekend, Delty and I also got to go to Twisted Spite Brewery for the first time. Yeah, we were going to go to Skydance Brewery, and it was absolutely, I mean, we did go, but it was packed. You had hardly anywhere to sit, and I couldn't hear myself think walking through the door, so that's not for me. Love the beer. It's a fantastic brewery. The beer is delicious, but that that wasn't really our scene. I, it was their second weekend open, so it will slowly start to come down, and like if we were able to go on like a Tuesday night, we'd be fine. But it was just way too many people, and I'm old now that I'm 30. <laughs> and honestly, I've been this way before. I do not like uh, when I can't really hear myself think and like have a conversation without yelling in a place. That really, like, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way, and it makes me not enjoy my experience. So I tend to avoid those kinds of things, if at all possible, unless I'm there for the experience of something loud. Now, that place was popping if you were watching the OU Texas game. Yeah. Like, I think that was the scene. OU Texas game folks were there watching it, playing games, being rowdy, hooting and hollering. And that sounded like fun for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Delt and I, uh, I pulled up the map. I was like, oh, snap, Twisted Spike's just down the road. So we went down the Twisted Spike because we've had their beers on the podcast before. Yes. Like the To Bean or Not To Bean, yep. as well as their uh, Mexican style lager. La Gentana. La Gentana. And uh, we go in there and there's like three people and like a- <laughs> Yeah, there's not many. A young lady and an older man working the bar who just sit and talk to you. We talked about our trip to Oregon, made friends with the random older guy next to me. We had a few tasters and we went home and it was nice. That was our speed. Oh, yeah, that place is definitely different built. And part of it, too, is that that place is built long and skinny. So the noise travels in a different way, right? It's not one big, open, high ceilinged room with a bunch of people. It's like little pockets of people. And I feel like that helps. I do not know acoustics scientifically. I may be completely wrong, but I feel like it helps with the noise level when there are more people. And so if you guys ever invite us out for a drink, no, we like quiet spaces. Yes. Lots of lighting. Yes. And be home before seven. And something to snack like popcorn or fries. Which Twisted Spike had. They had popcorn. Free popcorn. We nailed it. So the last week we haven't really done a whole lot. We went out to Elk City to see my family. We're going back out again this weekend for my cousin's wedding. And then we've been watching a lot of Horror movies, I guess, almost every night we've been cooking dinner. I made tamales from scratch, and I did a damn good job. They were really good. I say thank you. I am going to brag about myself because I made a beautiful potato tamales. Oklahoma's had a couple of tornadoes, thanks climate change. Yay. And, yeah, I've just been watching horror movies, hanging out, trying good beer, and playing a new game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. With that, we're going to move straight into the game today, which is Horrified. This is a game that's been out, I want to say, for several years now. I don't know the exact exact day. Uh, it looks like 2019, so that sounds about right, a couple years. 
Uh, Horrified is from Ravensburger as the publisher, along with Universal Studios Monsters. So I'm going to do this as we record. Normally at this point in time, I'm reading the credits. I'm saying, it's designed by this person with art and graphic design by this person. But guess what? It's not on the box, which is not even where I use. Like, I usually use the rule book. Like, we are prepared. Usually we get the box out, we get the rule book out, like it's ready to go. So when we sit down to talk, we just, like, pick it up, and Delton talks about it, da-da-da-da. We did that. Uh, but there's no actual credits. So maybe this is why BGG, uh-huh. BoardGameGeek.com, is crediting designer as Prospero Hall. Prospero Hall? What is that? An art by Prospero Hall and published by Ravensburger. Prospero Hall is a collaborative game design studio in Seattle. Each project starts with a vision, blah, 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 blah. I hope you enjoy our games. So it's like a game studio. It looks like they did the Disney Villainous games, the Jaws game, the Pan Am game. So here's what it means. This is a game design studio hired by companies that are using big um, IPs, intellectual oh. properties, if you look. I mean, look at their top games. I see Horrified, Disney Villainous, Disney Villainous Wicked. Yeah, look, Back to the Future. Back to the Future, uh, Jaws, Bob Black, Ross game. The Black Mirror game. So this is the company they hire when they have an IP and they need something to go on a Target or a Walmart store shelf. Fascinating. All right, so there's no single person to uh, to credit for Horrified, which kind of sucks. I get that it's a team collaborative effort, but like, at least put it on the box or the rule book for me. That doesn't make sense. I put the put the team's name on there or something, but I, I mean I can understand it. But also, I want right. I want to know who made this. Yeah, who's, so. who's the artist that did majority of this artwork? Who's the graphic designer? Give me some information here. Let's let's Google Prospero Hall real quick. Uh, there's a link to their website right here. This is this should be like live podcasting instead of recorded at this point. Uh, here you go. Let's look at team. They've got a lot of people. Holy jeez. Where are the designers? So this is leadership. Hmm. Uh, this is operations, manufacturing, and licensing. This is their people for marketing. This is production and development crew. That guy's got a nice beard. He really does. Who is that? I don't know that guy. Uh, this is game development. Okay, so Chris Rollins. Mm-hmm. I have him on Twitter. I don't know if he follows me, but I follow him. So game developer, 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 developer. So these are the people that are going to get together and make the games, like in terms of actually designing play. These are product designers. Okay, so those are the guys who are probably making the mechanics. We have Chris Rollins, Brian Kirk, Aaron Dono, Dexter Stevens, Matt Christensen, and uh, I can't read the last one. It looks like Ket Ng. Not sure exactly how to pronounce that last name or if that's just initials or not, but that's the group of developers, which means essentially the designers of the play. That's a very interesting thing to, to discover. Yeah, I didn't know there was such a thing. I mean, I know there have been... I mean, like, Plaid Hat Games is, like, a small company, but I've never heard of, like, a design team that collaborates and creates a game just under the design team name or the business name. So, interesting. I mean, it makes sense in terms of these IP games. They want a whole team. But even in something like Plaid Hat or Asmodee or Fantasy Flight, you get individual designers who are the lead person. So, that kind of stinks that somebody's not getting more credit for something that might be more their design. But at the same time, it is cool to have something like this that, you know, I mean, they have a lot of IPs here, which means they're probably making a decent amount of money. That's let's, for true. Let's be real. But anyway, I guess we'll get past this 17,000-minute conversation about credits. And Delton was worried that our banter was too short. Well, we made up for it, we folks. We just made up for it. So, yes, this is Horrified. You may have seen it. It is on Target shelves for sure. They just released a brand-new version, Horrified American Monsters. 
So Horrified here has the Universal Studios monsters. So it has Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein. Do you know what her name is? Google does it. She, does she have a We've name? We've already broke the fourth wall. We've already broken it? Uh, that we're unprepared? We're unprepared. <laughs> I mean... You're seeing behind the curtain, y'all. We're not as put together and posh as you thought. We're really not. I just, I don't know if she has an actual name. I don't think she does. Is she just the bride? Which is like, you know, fine. Which Frankenstein doesn't really have a name. He's the, He's the Frankenstein's monster. monster. So I guess there you go. It's just the the, the bride. Yeah, because I don't see. Uh, it looks like, wait, that's the doctor. Uh, Yeah, I don't really have a have a site here. I bet there is some sort of name. I don't know. But it's probably just the bride. But anyway, so this has Frankenstein and his bride, Dracula, the mummy, the invisible man, the wolf man, and the creature from the Black Lagoon. So this is a cooperative game from one to five players, ages 10 and up, and takes an hour. So far, we played the introductory game, which is the easiest two monsters together. Took us like 24 minutes to beat it. Then we played a standard game, which is any three monsters at once, and we lost at around 44 minutes. Uh, we were essentially, I believe, one turn away. Literally one turn. Literally. Okay, so yeah. here's what happened. Like, we had this roll, and it caused a Black Lagoon monster to shake the boat. If he had not have shaken the boat and knocked it back a peg, I would have beat his butt, Okay, and this I would have Okay, sounds so won. confusing to listeners. <laughs> Translate, Delty, because I'm angry. The way the game is going to work is you have a central board, and it is, as I said, fully cooperative. The central board has different locations. Of these monsters, you can have two, three, or four, if you want a very, very difficult game, out uh, at the same time. You each play one hero randomly assigned to you, which means you get a random assignment of some special ability and a number of actions you can take per turn. The monsters all have their own way of being defeated and their own special when you roll the dice. There's an exclamation point. is like a special ability for that monster, and that's what that is. So on your turn, you're going to take actions, which are like move, move a villager. Uh, villagers are random people on the board. You don't want monsters to eat them or attack them because if they do, you get closer to losing. Anytime somebody dies or a villager dies, the terror track goes up. If the terror track maxes out, everyone is too scared and runs away from the village and just lets the monsters take it over. That's the story in the uh, rule book. So the villagers, you can escort uh, you can bring them to you or push them away from you as well as move with them. You can pick up items. You can pass people items. You can take items from people. Uh, you can use your special ability or you can use the special things needed to defeat the different monsters. So each monster, and I think this is the first point of something I really enjoy about the game. And I'm going to get into more about why I think this game is, and I'm going to say it here, this is the perfect introductory cooperative game. It's the perfect game to show somebody co-op. It's difficult enough to provide a challenge, or it can be simple enough to just have a fun time while messing around with these monsters. But one of the things I really, really enjoy is out of these monsters, each one of them requires something different for how you can defeat it. For example, the creature from the Black Lagoon makes you discard items to move a boat on a special track on his like big monster card, and once you get to the end, you need a, a one of each color item, so red, yellow, and blue, to defeat him. Dracula, you have to run around destroying his coffins before you can defeat him. 
Frankenstein and the Bride. Uh, we have not played against them yet, but they are, uh, you have to essentially discard items to make them uh, understand human life more to make them be able to live peacefully as humans and stop terrorizing everyone. Invisible Man, you're just going to collect items, take them to the precinct, and try to have proof that he is around town. The Mummy makes you do a little kind of puzzle thing with some numbers and moving them around and shuffling until you can beat him. And then the Wolfman, you have to collect blue items, numbered one, two, and three. Two sets of those, get the cure, and then attack him while you have the cure in your possession if you're the one attacking, and he is then defeated. So each one has their own strategy and their own approach and their own color of item and things like that that you need. So when you're mixing multiple monsters, you have multiple paths to victory from that point. Right, and like Delton said, like you can have three monsters, you can have two monsters, and they're not going to be the same ones each time. No, not unless you want them to be. Right. So the first time we played is the introductory game. It is Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Dracula was really easy to get rid of, but the creature took a lot longer. Then the second time we played, when we played with three, which is the standard game, we had the creature from the Black Lagoon, the mummy, and the wolfman. And the wolfman wasn't too bad for Haley to just knock out, but what's interesting about them is the wolfman and the mummy have this special thing that when it happens, they now only move toward one player, which I thought was fun. Like, for example, I was hunted by the wolfman, so I had this yes. little token. And so if Delt and I are equidistant, then he's going to go towards me. And so continuously... Even if we're not, oh, he's even still going to go towards you. Even if we're not, he's still go towards me. So if I'm holding that, he's going to go towards me. Whereas Delton, he had the... So basically, the mummy thinks that thought that Delton was the reincarnated soul of his past loved one. And so when Delton had that token, the mummy went directly towards him. I cannot imagine if you had both tokens, how much of a cluster that would be. At least I think he keeps moving toward you. Maybe this is a rule I misunderstood. But either way, I like that. I'm looking at these, and it says the first person to play that card, uh, the current player takes that the soul sign or the hunted emblem, and then the monster moves toward them. Or they move toward the mummy, which I thought that was neat that the mummy has you move toward him. He's like, you know, mystifying you or uh, hypnotizing you, whatever. So maybe it's just when that card's drawn, but I think it's the whole game. I'm going to have to Google that. That's a detail I haven't ran into uh, that. I hope we didn't miss a rule. I know. But yes, I like that these monsters are different. They have different rules about them, and that means you can do different things on your turns, split up different duties, pass off items, and do all kinds of stuff like that. Which I feel like in the first game, we did a good job at. We were very collaborative. We were also trying to figure the game out, too, so we were... Know, talking with each other about what the best plan of action would be. But the second game, we both kind of just did our own thing. We didn't do a whole lot of teamwork until the last few turns, so we kind of collaborated on things. And I feel like we needed to have a little more teamwork in it. For sure. We needed to be swapping items, meeting halfway, and things like that to really work better and uh, be able to put our brains to better use, I feel like. I feel like we were so single-minded on what our tasks were that we really missed out on being able to get things done sooner. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to destroy the wolfman. Delton's like, I'm going to get the mummy. And then like the creature from the Black Lagoon is just like, wreaking havoc upon the village without any adult supervision. And Delton and I were like, well, we got our task to do. And so really at the very end when we started to collaborate, hand things off, it went a lot smoother, a lot quicker. We got some more stuff done. Still, one turn away from winning, but I digress. Okay, I just looked up clarification while Haley was talking there. And 
it is whenever you draw the... So basically when the monsters attack in this game, at the end of every player turn, you flip over a monster card and it's going to tell you how many items to put on the board. It's going to tell you some sort of event that uh, may or may not trigger depending on what monsters are out, things like that. And then it will tell you which monsters will move and how much they will attack for because they can roll one to three dice. And I got a clarification here um, that the Wolfman, for example, he gives you the hunted mark and it makes you move toward that says the only time he moves directly toward the hunted character is when you draw one of the three the hunt is on cards. So not the whole game, only when the Wolfman's specific card comes out. Then he's got one person he's going for every time. So we did play that wrong, which means we also played the mummy wrong. So good, clarifica- good clarification. I wish it was clearer in the rule book, which I think if you read it at face value, it reads that way. But for me, I took it as, oh, well, now he's always going to follow the person that's marked for hunting. And I feel like, you know, we, we play a lot of games and we typically, if there's if there's two ways that we can read a rule, we typically read it as the way that screws us over the most too. Like, no, we're not going to take the easy way out. We got to take the difficult way. Well, I think in this case, the more difficult way would be the opposite of what we did, because that means that the Wolfman would have moved toward a different player or a villager more often. See, I took it the so. opposite. like. I think it was harder being that the Wolfman's chasing you the whole time. Oh, I was fine with it because with my player's ability, though, I could jump around the board. Yeah, I didn't have that ability, though. You, you didn't, so it was way different. I, but Del- that's okay. I Del- guess you had Wolfman, I had Mummy. So Delton had a character that could jump, move anywhere on the board. Um, my character uh, could alter the value of different items, which is useful in like cases of having to turn in items for the Wolfman and things like that. Um, so Delton, it really didn't bother him too much that the mummy was chasing him. He's like, bam, okay, I'm going to show up on the opposite side of town. And this mummy's going to be like, where'd you go? That was pretty much it. But the mummy's interesting because he moves you toward him. So I thought that was kind of fun because it's, it's different than him moving toward you. He pulls you off the location. Now you have to move back to that location to do what you're going to do. I don't know. It's interesting. But I really like that. So in terms of why I think this game is such a perfect introductory co-op game, you know, yes, we missed that rule. Lots of people probably can, so that's something that needs clarified. However, there are a few reasons that I think this game does exactly what you want a co-op game to do if you truly want to just have fun and not be beat into the ground. Anytime you play Pandemic, yes, there are people that can beat Pandemic easily. Too soon, Delton, too soon. But there's also the times like we played with Zach and Sarah, and I took my turn, Zach took his, takes his turn, and we lose. Because the way everything just immediately exploded, it was so weird a freak thing, but it's possible. And we had spent all night talking that game up. We did. But Horrified does not have that problem by just by the game's design. Something that I think is interesting about it, and here's going to be my little list of things. One is all the different players' uh, abilities feel useful. Haley's yours, where it, it can change the value, is maybe the least useful, but I also feel like with more players where there's more people picking up stuff, it might feel better. Right, I think so too. Like just having a a two player, and we have access to all of the pieces. Mm-hmm. Like we're basically splitting it in half. Um, having to make a five into a six in order to have a a six tool to beat the Wolfman is not really as difficult as I think it would be if you were had you no know, four, five, six players at the same time. Yeah, very true. But so I think that's a positive. Another one that me and Haley talked about is the game's not hard to play. It makes sense. It's easy. Everything is visually easy to spot. You know what you're doing and all that. Something else I enjoy is when you trade with people, you can trade any number of anything. So if you want to trade items, 
you can trade items no problem. If you want to uh you know trade three blue items and your opponent has nothing, that's okay. You can give them those three blue items. Now you can't trade the perk cards, which there are very you start with one perk card. You don't get a lot, but any time a villager comes out, they have a destination on the board they want to travel. For example, if one shows up at the docks and they may want to travel across the board over to the mansion, you have to escort them without them getting attacked and killed by a monster. And if they make it, you get a perk card, which can say something like move any monster four spaces and things like that to really help you. You can't trade those, so I should say that. But not only can you trade anything, anytime a monster kills you, You keep all of your items, all of your perk cards, everything that you had, you keep. You just start your next turn on the hospital space. I love that. I love that you're not punished for a mistake or if a monster happens to catch up to you or something like that. That for me is like a really big thing of I don't want to be punished. I want to be able to constantly move forward and not feel like I'm being set back. You know, a lot of times whenever you see like the ages on boxes, like 10 and up can play, 8 and up can play. Like, a lot of times I I see that and I recognize that that is your, like, cognitive ability age. Can you understand the concepts? Can you understand the pieces? Can you understand the mechanics? Can you plan between turns as much as you need to for this game? But what I often think games forget is the emotional component of that, too. Like, for example, a 10-year-old might be able to understand the game, but are they emotionally mature enough to lose all of their pieces on a turn if they make a mistake? Or if the luck of the draw happens and they don't get the card that they need to save the day, are they going to be able to handle that without getting upset, without getting frustrated? And I feel like this game does a really good job because it's, it's made for 10 and up. Like, yeah. I can see it's it's not, it doesn't have, the like Delton says, the mean components that, you know, when you're, when you're playing with a 10, 11-year-old, maybe it doesn't have the emotional maturity of an adult, they're still going to stay engaged in the game if something messes up or doesn't go their way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, something else that I find to be just amazing for me, and this is really just, I want cooperative games to be all around easier sometimes. Like I want to just go into a cooperative game, not with the thought of I want a hard challenge. That's just, I want to have fun playing cooperatively. And uh, in this one, when you go to a space and you pick up items, you can pick up all of the items for one action. It's nice. It's not one action. Pick up a single item, one action, pick up another item. One, you would use one action to grab the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, however many items are on that space, you grab them. Generally, I think the max we've seen so far is four because we get to them before they go past that. Like the 90s kids who won the Nickelodeon sweepstakes to run the halls of the Toys R Us with a shopping cart. You just pick up everything you can see, you grab it and run. Exactly. That's exactly how it goes. Uh, th- those are just some of the things that I think if you're introducing somebody to a, a style of board game, You want it to be a fun one that's easy to understand, isn't going to punish them and make them hate it because of some rules like, I don't know, just anything. I feel like this has really kind of hit the nail on the head for simplicity. And also, it's just been fun, even if it's not the most complex, even if you, you know, play it five times and you go, I've kind of seen all it has, even though you don't see the mixture of monsters, you will have seen each monster. I still think that this is one that's like, Oh, you want to play something cooperative? All right, well, let's have a fun time doing it and play Horrified, right? Like, this is a game that I could see us taking to Amy and Andy's who aren't big board gamers. Amy generally doesn't like board games. She thinks they're boring. This is one I think that they would possibly find fun because it's light, it's fun, you can joke around, it's goofy, it's classic monsters from film and books and stuff. 
So I think that it just kind of hits the nail on the head in a lot of ways for a just fun co-op. Hits the nail in the head and puts the silver dagger through the heart of the wolfman. I thought you were going to say the bolt in the neck. The bolt in the neck. At the top of the box, it does say the stakes have been raised. Ah. Get it? You're ready. You're going to kill him. I mean, not really, but kind of. But yeah, I really like Horrified. Uh, normally, it's like 30 bucks at Walmart. I think we got it for like 23 Uh, The new one, American Monsters, uses exactly that, American Monsters. It's got the Chupacabra, Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, I think it was called. And Mothman. Mothman. Uh, and two, one more, two more, um, something like that. That one, I was going to initially get that one, but it wasn't at the target. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to go and do the original because these are classic iconic characters. And if we happen to like this enough, which I think we do, it wouldn't be out of the question to be like, all right, let's grab American monsters and see what it changes. See how those monsters work given you need a different board, but, uh, it's still a fun one. We are so excited about that game. We talk so much. I'm thirsty now. Which is why. I'm cracking the next beer. Oh, oh God. I caught it. In the words of Trisha Yearwood, pour me, pour me, pour me another shot of whiskey. Or in this case, another bottle of beer. So this second beer for the episode is from Casey Beer Co. out of Kansas City. This is their Munich-style brown lager. Unfiltered, decocked, naturally carbonated. And I'm trying to find... Uh, it is a 5% alcohol by volume. They're both 5%. Ein Dunkelbier. So this one is a nice amber color. Uh, it's pretty dang clear. It's got a little bit of head to it. It smells a lot sweeter, a lot more malty. There's almost like a molasses-y, like dark sugar. Has a little bit of roasty, too. Listen to my glass. Or is that your glass? I don't think that's going to make it in. It's too quiet, but Ugh. it's crackling good, that carbonation. Wow, that tastes good. This has a very fall taste to me. It's very nutty. It's it's almost It's almost like a It's like, like a, a creamy hazelnutty. That's what I was thinking. It's almost hazelnut without being hazelnut. It's like take a cashew and a hazelnut and make them fall in love and get married and have a baby and that's this beer. Sure. It's pretty tame. Carbonation's good. Mouthfeel is very foamy throughout. It tastes like a fall beer to me. Right? The the first beer that we had um, that reindeer beer tastes more of a summery, maybe spring, but this tastes more fall. It's already got that deepness of, of flavor, mm -hmm. not quite a nuttiness, but almost enough nuttiness that you could consider it like a hazelnut brown or something. I want to drink this and go apple picking and like pumpkin carving and Samhain nature walking. I mean, it's pretty good. I think it's a good beer. Casey Beer Co. has had good beers and a great vegan bratwurst. Hell yeah, brother. Uh, with that beer cracked, let's move into the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today, uh, surprisingly, I don't know how, and maybe I've just typed it in differently, but uh, we've never actually talked the topic of co-op games or cooperative games. And it's funny because this morning, Delton was like, I feel like we're about running out of topics. Like, we've talked about everything. And then we got to talking, well, what are we going to talk about today? And I was like, what about co-op? Have we done that? Because like, I was thinking we had, because we've done everything, it feels like. But lo and behold, we have not done cooperative. So the topic for today's episode is co-ops, teamwork, tag teaming, playing together, 
one common goal, one goal to rule us all. Let's talk about co-ops today, Delty. So cooperative games, just like Horrified, is everyone at the table working together. Now, there are games that have a semi-cooperative element where there is a traitor among you. I'm not going to consider those unless they have a full cooperative variant in terms of some of the ones I try to mention, because as much as I love Battlestar Galactica or Shadows Over Camelot, those are always going to have at least one traitor. And that changes up the game because you're suspicious of your other players. We're talking pure cooperative, everyone working together. Single scores don't matter unless you just want to for some reason. Uh, That kind of stuff. Horrified being the main example of this episode, like I said, is a great introduction to cooperative games, but also just a fun game for the family. See, used to I would say Pandemic would be like my game to introduce folks to the cooperative style. I mean, aside from like little card games like The Game or um, Hanabi, Hanabi, like I I thought Pandemic was like the perfect introductory cooperative game. You could pick it up from Walmart. Mechanics are simple, so on and so forth. This takes away some of the complexity and almost the, I don't want to say meanness of Pandemic. The the game is it's unforgiving at times. It forgives a little more than Pandemic does when it comes to drawing a card that's unhelpful or, you know, getting defeated by a, a zombie or whatever. But it doesn't lose the fun. It doesn't lose the engagement. And so I feel like this is the perfect uh, introductory co-op game, like Delton was saying. Definitely. And that's the thing. Cooperative games are meant to be a puzzle, right? They're meant to be challenging. You need to work together. You need to discuss what you're going to do, make trades, help each other out, and try to get to the goal, accomplish the big goal of the game by the end. Now, with that being said, there is one big reason some people don't like cooperatives. I think it's completely valid, which is quarterbacking. Yes. Now, quarterbacking is kind of like it sounds, one person calling the shots. It is absolutely zero fun if you're sitting at a table around a game and one person saying, all right, you need to go do this, do this, do this, I'll do this, they do that. Then it becomes an activity. Yeah, because you can make suggestions. I can say, Haley, I really think you should do this or this, and then I'll go over here. How does that sound to you? Like, we can do that. Like, you can discuss it. You can, you know, bring up your opinion on it. But in the end, other people need to make their own decisions and also have time to think for themselves. And quarterbacking is a problem with people, and it tends to be ones that are too competitive. Mm -hmm. If you're very competitive, you have to win. That can be an issue. Um, But cooperative games are a good space to explore, you know, discussing people having their own opinions, letting people make mistakes. I feel like that's an element in terms of uh, younger players. It's okay if you didn't make the most optimal move. That's all right. But cooperative games can lend themselves to that, and there are different games that may break that system. Horrified could be that way if somebody felt they needed to. Pandemic obviously could be that way. I don't know that Robinson Crusoe could. I still have never played that game. We don't own it or anything. Uh, My brother has it. I need to play his version or at least get the new one at some point. But uh, some of the games that break that is like The Crew. The Crew, no one knows what's in your hand. They can't tell you what to do. You can't even communicate that much. That immediately breaks that down to where now it's everybody for themselves, right? Um, It's the same thing with The Game or The Mind. And I know that there's, you know, some people hate one, love the other, um, but I'm going to use the game as the main example because you have communication, but you can tell people, you know, a few things to help, but it's only helping the way you can play. You can say, please don't play anything here. That's your only information. Mm -hmm. So again, that gets around that quarterbacking, which is only a problem in groups that it's a problem in, right? Right. So for most people, that's not going to matter for you. 
And so, Delton, this is a question for you because you you teach a lot of the games. Okay. When we whenever you teach like new cooperative games, how do you balance between the guiding that comes with teaching and quarterbacking? Because like at first hey. you really have to guide someone, especially if they're brand new to games, or most of the time, I guess you don't have to. But how do you strike that balance? Something I find that I do a lot, and I haven't really thought about this except for just just now when you've brought this up. And I think you'll see that I do this a lot is I try to say what my favorite option is and what an alternate option is. If you notice, I do that a lot. I would say what I would do, I like if you went here, here and grabbed all this and were prepared to do this. But I could also see going this way and doing that because then you could do this later. I feel like presenting multiple options, the so submit, say this is what I think is the prime option and this may be suboptimal, but this does have good effect. There is a reason that you can take it type thing. So I feel like presenting multiple options to the player gives them the feeling of choice and they might take your advice and they might not. And that's fine. You just have to be okay with that. That's the, I think the biggest piece. So I think that's kind of how I go about it. That is one thing I really appreciate about your teaching style is that you're very good at not only describing what you would do, but why, why you would do it too. Yeah. And I feel like that that's helpful um, in keeping you from quarterbacking too. Cause you're not just like, go here, go here, go here. You're like, well, here's what I would do. This is why it might be helpful, but here's what also might be helpful too. Well, that's the thing. In a game like Horrified, in a game like, oh, now my brain's starting to fry just immediately trying to think of like all the cooperative games, which I don't even know all the co-ops that we own that don't have a trader element. You know what? This is when I can utilize my Board Game Geek app, even though it's technically, I think, an unofficial app. I feel like we're breaking like the seventh wall at this point. I mean, kind of. I'm trying to see if there's a way that I can just look up cooperative as a game style. Now I'm going to talk to you guys. Hey, welcome to Behind the Scenes of Malt House Games Podcast. Sometimes we have our ducks in a row. Sometimes we have our ducks, though they're not necessarily in a row. Sometimes we can't find our ducks. That day is today. So thank you for being patient with us as we utilize our Google machine we probably should have used before the podcast. But you know what? We had stuff to do, and now we have beer to drink. And so... Thank you for joining us. Where's cooperative? Oh, it's going to be under mechanics, isn't it? I'm a dingus. Everything's fine. <laughs> cooperative game. So I'm just going to submit no search name, but cooperative game under the advanced filter on Board Game Geek and let it bring up all the cooperative games. That way I can see the top ones of what I own. Aha! So like Arkham Horror, the card game. Pandemic. There you go. Robinson Crusoe. Uh, actual Arkham Horror, the board game. You've got Spirit Island, Time Stories. There you go. Time Stories was one that we own and really enjoyed. That's true. That one was very, very cooperative. And uh, you have to really play on each other's strengths and weaknesses too in that one. You really do because your characters are each limited very much so in one way. I like that one because it kind of makes you rely on each other. You have to. You cannot yeah. do this on your own. It really does. I forget where I was coming from into this, looking up a list. I think I was just getting confused on where they all were. Um, another one I see here is Mechs versus Minions. Mechs versus Minions is very fun because it's a programming game, and you can discuss things, but your program just might not run the way you want it to once you get actually out into action, and I love that. I think it's so much fun. That's one that I still want to get through all of the stuff. Also, uh, side note, if you're interested in buying Mechs versus Minions, you can still buy it directly from Riot Games through, through their website. Don't pay somebody more than the $90 for a sealed copy because it's only, nine, I think, 90 or 95 new. It might be 100 now. 
Uh, but I see, I've seen people selling it for like 130 from their stores. And it's like, that's not a legitimate price. You can still get it from Riot today. Their seventh printing with all the errors worked out, you know, that kind of thing. Pro tip. Pro tip. But there's a lot of things like that. Mice and Mystics was one that we used to own. Too many bones I've seen people like. Zombicide we've played before. There's so many fun things with cooperative games because you're working together, solving puzzles and trying to have fun. I felt like there was more to this and my brain just pooped it all out when I started Googling <laughs> cooperative games. Well, and a lot of the games that we know and love do have cooperative variants too, like Wavelength. That's true. Uh, Wavelength, you know, typically you play two different teams going against each other, but we've also played it, and this is past a drunk mother test with my mother, uh, we've played it where it was all of us working together trying to figure out uh, what the what the rules are. We we're all trying to get, you know, all seven cards or whatever. We're all on the same team. Yeah, that's very true. I didn't think about that. And just one, one of the best party games I've played in a long time, as well as Letter Jam. Letter Jam that we played, I believe that was fully cooperative too, right? It was, yes. So both of those are great cooperative games. And one that we love a lot, Mysterium. Uh, if you play that, you can play it where certain people win or you just play it cooperatively where the other players, like they give you hints for their own points, but you're kind of still all working together because if everybody doesn't make it to the end, I don't, I don't remember if nobody makes it. I can't remember the exact rule, but I believe there is a fully cooperative element you can play in Mysterium. Mm -hmm. So some games do have that. And I just think it's because it, it makes it easier. If someone's not competitive, play cooperative. If someone is, is new to games and doesn't really know what to look forward to. Cooperative games give you the ability to assist them, let them know why, and introduce them to the fun element of we're having fun, look at us, because they're not competing against people who are experienced. That's a good point. It takes away a lot of that pressure. It does. And so, Del, what are your top three favorite things about cooperative games? My top three favorite things about cooperative games are probably uh, the, the rewarding feeling when you win because I lose a lot of cooperative games, but every time you work together and win, especially if there's like a turn or two left, it feels nice. It just feels good. Uh, I really like the aspect of being able to plan stuff out with others because it feels fun to like make all these plans and stop and trade. It feels, I, I guess part of it is just all of these are going to revolve around cooperative games feel rewarding to me. It's rewarding when you win. It's rewarding when teamwork actually pays off. Uh, and I also think that it's just, I'm going to say my third favorite thing is they're different because there's so many competitive games. Competitive games make up 99% of all the games, but that other 1% of cooperative games are all trying to do it differently because it can feel samey. It can be something that's hard to figure out a new way to work together. And so they always feel different. They feel like a different experience. It's almost like you want to put all the cooperative games on one shelf of their own and say, these are all the games that are cooperative because they just feel like they fit together, even though they're different from each other and they're different from everything else. So I just like that. What about your three? Oh man, I didn't think I'd have to answer this. I really, I really didn't think about that. Ha ha. Ha ha. Oh, how the turntables. So I really like the discussion part. I feel like in cooperative games, you get a lot of discussion. Uh, I like the the problem solving together, too, especially in games like Time Stories. We have to play off each other's weaknesses. Like, And even in Horrified, like you had an ability that I didn't have. So we're having to play off each other's strengths and weaknesses in order to have the most efficient way to go. And I like it last, kind of like what you've already talked about before, is it's easy to introduce new people to it. Because I, I love board games so much. 
And, you know, I want people to enjoy them as much as I do. I want them to have fun. And so, like Delton said, this is a great way to introduce people to the hobby because it is that that we environment, that collaborative environment. I can help you without singling you out in a way. Yes. And I think the last thing that I'll say here for the topic is going to be once you've played cooperative games, if you have a group that doesn't mind a little suspicion, semi-cooperative games are a blast. Dead of Winter, Battlestar Galactica, Shadows Over Camelot. Which Dead of Winter has a fully cooperative variant as well. It does. It does have a fully co-op variant. Uh, I guess Ghost Stories is another full co-op, but that's got to be the hardest game in the entire existence of co-op games. <laughs> I've never beat Ghost Stories. I can't figure out how to beat Ghost Stories, but I still like Ghost Stories. Uh, but in terms of semi-co-op, it's very fun having one person be a traitor around the table and everybody's suspicious of them. So that is the next step, the next level in co-op games of adding something to it. With that being said, let's move to the question to close this episode out. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. Haley, who or what is your favorite horror monster? I think this one's my favorite because it's the first one I have in my living memory. Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Because whenever I was a kid, I remember distinctly, we, we lived in this rent house. It's one of my very first memories, you know, whenever you're like three years old and you like have like little 30 second memories every once in a while before your brain really starts to develop that like episodic memory. Sure. So anyway, I just remember being a little kid, about three years old, living in this rent house. Mom has Nightmare Before uh, Christmas up on the TV. I see Oogie Boogie. I get scared and I run away from the TV. And that anxiety has followed me into adulthood. I cannot see Oogie Boogie, even those giant inflatable ones that people have in their yards nowadays, without having just a little bit of anxiety and a flashback to that first core memory. Because that was freaky. So he has to be one of my favorites because he's honestly still one of the ones that provides anxiety. That makes to sense. My little heart. That makes sense. Uh, we need, by the way, we need to finish uh, Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas because. We started it, I did, with Riley at your parents' house, and I'm about 45 minutes or half, a little over halfway in, uh, but I, don't, I can't tell you the last time I've seen the movie, so I need to go through from that point and finish it so I can say that I've seen it to completion recently. Uh, I'm going to say my favorite horror monster, it's funny that we're both having kind of humanoid monsters, uh, my favorite horror monster is going to be the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth that has the eyes in his palms. Oh, God. The, when I think of a truly creepy creation of a movie. There's all kinds of things and places that you can go with it. Uh, monsters, whether they're simple as a vampire or as complicated as like, oh shoot, I don't know, the monster in Cloverfield or, uh, you know, the xenomorph and alien, like any of that kind of stuff. But the pale man with the just that that body actor is so good. And seeing just the way he puts the eyes in the hands and holds them up to his face, he's so creepy, and I love it. He's probably one of probably my favorite for sure. I think that that's going to be the final of the question. Uh, we're going to give a big shout out to our patrons that back us on Patreon.com/MalthouseGames. Thank you to Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, all of your support, as well as the other patrons, goes toward improving this podcast. And uh, one of the things that we've got, and I'm sitting here using one right now, is our Malthouse Games 100th episode beer glass. Uh, I am currently collecting addresses. If you have not sent me your address and you are a patron, uh, uh, you will know I will have sent a message out about getting the beer glasses to the patrons. Uh, send me your address through Patreon. 
through Twitter. You can send it to contact at malthousegames.com. You can find us on Twitter at Malthouse Games. Me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. And you can send us your address there through a DM or anything like that. I am working on figuring out how I'm going to ship these to people. <laughs> Haven't got to that point because uh, shipping is expensive and finding boxes and bubble wrap. I have to kind of like have a day that I'm not at work until 5 p.m. that I can get this prepared and together and price and Delt might have a project next Saturday while I'm working. That's exactly it. I'm hoping to take next Saturday, my next Saturday off to sit down and knock this out. But we will get these out to you. Uh, don't forget to go to malthousegames.com and shop.malthousegames.com if you want to grab a t-shirt with our normal logo in orange and blue or our winter logo in the like teal and brown or whatever it is. Or a fanny pack. Or a fanny pack, a sticker, anything of that sort, or a different kind of beer glass that's not, sadly, one of the 100th episode beer glasses. Anything else? Stay tuned for the 200th episode beer glass. Yeah, it's going to take forever. Another three years down the road. We'll do something before then. I'm going to try. We're over halfway there. Exactly. I think that's going to cover it. Oh, one more thing I want to announce. Uh, we are officially attending BGGCon in November. With media badges. We did. We uh, actually got press badges this time. There's not a huge haul, and I'm going to try to be good, gosh darn it, about actually talking to people or at least me and Haley filming some stuff. Oh, I'll talk to people. Because we're always really, uh, we, I say we, uh, I get really bad not just living in the moment, and I don't want to bug people that way, but I know that's the whole point of having a, a podcast and like you know content creation is to get content. So we're going to try our hardest to actually record some stuff for the podcast that weekend with friends and take some photos and make some little video vlog things and be those people for a weekend. And it's Delton's job to point out the designers, the people he wants to talk to. It's my job to go drag him over by their hair. Exactly. But yes, so I think that's going to wrap up the episode. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, refer back to when I was talking about Patreon and send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com and all that good stuff. I think we're going to go watch a scary movie and have dessert. Ah! So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.